yes, I guess the interesting thing about that that display going off is it was only now I'll have to cast my mind back, but I think it was the only second time in in history effectively it'd been shut down. The first one being in the Second World War, and the second time I think was when Lady Diana passed away. Hello and welcome to the Dactronics Experience Podcast. I'm Justin Oxner here with Matt Anderson. Today we're joined by Patrick Hellowell, Managing Director of Dactronics UK. We're going to hear about the UK market, recent projects in that area, and special considerations for LED displays in the marketplace. And we're here today with Patrick, all the way from the UK. Patrick, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you, Justin. Good. And of course, we have Matt Anderson here with us. Hello, Patrick. And we're going to talk about... Hi, Matt. How are you doing? I'm doing good today. Thanks. <laughs> right. And we're going to talk about some UK projects today and, and what we're seeing in the in that market space. But first, Patrick, can you give us a, a background of yourself, the kind of your origin story, so to speak, of how you got to where you're at today at DAC? Cool. So, um, so it all started back in, uh, well, 2004, when Daptronics acquired uh, a company I worked for at the time. So the company was called European Timing Systems. And we were actually a customer of Daptronics, and we were buying uh, standard scoreboards and integrating them into more complex timing systems. And uh, Daptronics actually was our go-to company for LED scoreboards at the time. And uh, we, we, had a, we had a sparked off a great relationship back then. Um, we met uh, quite a lot of people within Daptronics, just traveling over to Daptronics and seeing all the kit and seeing the factory. And it was at that point we, we learned about Daptronics's, uh, I guess, plan to, to be more present in Europe and in the UK. And uh, we were very fortunate at the time that Daptronics wanted, we, well, Daptronics included uh, European timings in their plan. So they um, we, we were acquired back in December 2004. And we were focused in markets like swimming timing, cricket, Fairly standard sport uh, display stuff, um, but uh, with the acquisition by Daptronics, it launched us into the video world and uh, the LED video world, where we started to look at uh, the major stadiums um, and uh, the, what we call spectaculars within the business now, which are really the iconic iconic displays. Um, so this is all very super interesting for us and a, a great opportunity for us and. Me being an a electrical electronic engineer by trade, I, I loved the uh, the new environment that we were working within and the opportunity, as I say, to see the manufacturing and the processes and and understand how we put some of these uh, these uh, awesome displays together. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's how it all started, and it's just and it's gone from strength to strength uh, in in the last well, it'll be coming up to twenty years uh, twenty years next year. And I'm, I'm thinking, like, how much of a change that must have been. How was that when you went from, kind of you said, your previous role doing, you know, score, like, essentially, like, scoreboards and timing, and now when Dactronics acquired the company and you had all these different markets to all of a sudden branch into, how how was that? Was it pretty tough to all of a sudden, okay, it, it just seems like it's a lot bigger uh, area to have to focus on. Yeah, so, I mean, I think it's fair to say that we didn't jump straight into selling video. Mm-hmm. We recognized that. Our understanding of that technology wasn't where it really needed to be to be effective in front of customers, and we continued to focus in some of our standard markets for the first 
first couple of years and we and we slowly moved into the into the video space because you have to understand how it obviously how it worked how mm-hmm. it was put together how it was installed and then how it was supported so yeah so it was a big big change for us yeah so there was like a growth and an evolution there to to kind of grow into those marketplaces and that's kind of interesting to just just think about the history of how it went from starting with the standard stuff to the acquisition to the learning process and growing into those markets to to where we're at today and could you maybe talk a little bit more about what you actually do on a day-to-day basis in your current role? Yeah, so um, my role now within Daptronics, I'm the, uh, the managing director for Daptronics UK, and we're 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 pretty um, lean ship over here um, <clears throat> in the UK. So uh, my role is very much focused on the operations, but more importantly, the, the business development uh, within the within the UK. I also look after. Um, Northern Europe and, and Eastern Europe as well. So, it's 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 uh, as I say at the core of it is business development. All right, and then if we're talking about you know kind of looking at the UK market and uh, kind of overseeing what's going on, what type of uh, products do we like currently offer now in the UK? Is it is it quite a bre- wide breadth of products that we offer? Yeah, very much so. So we're still we're still in our core markets. Our core markets being being what we call live events, which is our stadium stadium business. And uh, advertising business, which we're very, which we're very strong in. So we work with some of the the key media owners uh, in Europe, putting in uh, out of home advertising displays. Spectaculars uh, is is uh, again one of our core markets, and a new emerging market for us, and certainly for all the manufacturers out there. Really, is this what we what we what we uh, call industry, which is we're looking at more the um, the boardroom space the, we're moving into the smaller pixel pitch the indoor technology technology has really come on which has allowed us to place the LED technology in a lot more uh, different spaces I should say in, in a lot of different spaces different environments where the proximity is a lot closer so you're, you're getting much higher resolution um, displays now and that's opened up uh, huge amounts of markets for us yeah, so there's different products that are kind of specialized for those different applications. And, you know, we talked a little bit about how the the markets came along, and you mentioned even out of home, and there's a, a historical success there with the, the Piccadilly lights and the evolution of um, multiple displays into one. Could you give us a, a little insight into that huge project over in the UK? Sure. So, Daptronics, we've had a, a place, if you want to call it that, a place on Piccadilly, Piccadilly Circus for many years. In fact, um, prior to this last installation, I think we we were we were been on that uh, on that site for about twenty years. But as you say, it's changed format quite um, quite a number of times. Back in the day, it was a neon display. At one point, they had incandescent bulbs, and then it went to LED, where you had just six different individual displays on that space on Piccadilly, uh, and it was the last. Um, the last version or evolution of, of this display where it became one one display, one integral display over the whole space. Um, and we were part of those discussions on the planning of this. So we were we were saying, well what what, what can we do next? What's the what's the, the next best thing that we could do that Daptronics could offer? And it, it's all about the content at the end of the day. Um, uh, as far as the viewers and the people looking at the display, it's about the content that's um, that's on the display. Now, of course, 
you need the best canvas possible to be able to show that content well. And that was our focus is what, what is the best canvas that we can offer um, to put up on Piccadilly, Piccadilly Lights that uh, is going to allow you to really advance the content. Um, so we put up a, we put up a 4K display. Um, in fact, I think it was the only only the second 4K display in the world at the time. First one being in Times Square. Uh, so this was this was uh, yeah this was fantastic for for us, fantastic for uh, Land Securities, the owner of the site, and fantastic for Ocean, the guys that um, the, the media operator on that site, and they really embraced it. They created some amazing content with. Uh, with their deep screen content, which is effectively this, this 3D content that we're all seeing there. And so again, a number of evolutions, and this this last one really does uh, really does allow the content to bring the site alive. And I'm thinking too, and maybe you could comment a little bit. I know there was a historical aspect to this because. I mean, I'm thinking back to when we found out we got the project. We saw renderings, right? We were pretty excited for it. But then the amount of work that needed to be done to, let's say, turn all the displays off, obviously remove and install new ones. I know I think we may have kept bugging you at the time for pictures of the install pictures as it was going up. But um, maybe you talk talk a little bit about that. I know there was a big deal that was turned off and then all the way up to that first time where it got turned on. Because I remember at the time, it still might be up there, Justin, it was one of our best social media posts is when you went live, Patrick, on Facebook Live uh, from when they turned it on. So I know, can you maybe just talk a little bit about the uh, important significance of that being shut off and turned on? Yes, yes, I do recall that um, that Facebook Facebook Live. Yeah, my, my first uh, my first foray into Facebook Live. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, so I guess the interesting thing about that that display going off is it was only you now I'll have to cast my mind back, but I think it was the only second time in in history effectively it'd been shut down. First one being in the Second World War, and the second time, I think, was when Lady Diana passed away. Um, so it, it was a it was a significant moment in time when it all shut down, and uh, there was a big countdown on the display, and it was it was publicised that it was going to be off for a, a period of time, and I think it went off, uh, it went off in, I think it was early in the year, in March, and it came on in October, uh, later that year. So you, you can by that there was a, a huge amount of work to be done um land securities had a very ambitious plan with that building and they're still in the process of, of doing those works they're really bringing that build building into the 21st century now and the display itself was was attached to the side of the building and what they actually did there which was interesting is that they removed the whole of the building behind you wouldn't know this but they built a false wall, so a completely supported wall, and took down the whole building behind to allow the display to remain in place while they did all these works behind. Wow. Because they're redeveloping this site behind completely. But of course, they had to leave up Piccadilly Lights. Um, you know, they, they couldn't couldn't uh, do without it. As far as um, it's great revenue generated for them, of course, but also, you know, it's a huge it's a huge landmark piece. Mm-hmm. And uh, that they had to keep that in situ, so they went to great lengths, as I say, to create this this false wall, if you like, but uh, they had to hold the, the structure of um, our display. So, yeah, very very uh, complex and well planned project that went particularly smoothly for, for everyone, I think. 
Yeah, and and you were even talking about the technology coming along, and that's like you said, the f- one of the first 4K displays and in the out of home space or even installed in the world. And I think it was one of our first eight millimeter outdoor projects as well to, to bring that lower pixel pitch to, to out of home too. So that was interesting to see. And of course, installed at a very high profile location there. And we, we talked a little bit about the uses ahead of this and how they're um, multiple advertisers on the display. And you mentioned some of the cool 3D looking content that they're using, but they're also doing some social engagements and other collaborations. Can you tell us how they're making sure all those advertisers get their, their time on the display? <clears throat> well, that's a good question, Justin. Uh, the, the, I'd say the, the way that land securities and ocean collaborate now is allowing some real, some, some very engaging content on that display, but also some diversity. And, and the, um, it, it, it's still having a lot, a lot of social responsibility as well as, as well as being a tool to generate revenue, which, which of course it is at this landmark site. Um, but um, land securities are focused on building um, alliances and allegiances globally. And, um, that, that have a level of social responsibility, and then using the display to to uh, promote those um, those alliance, alliances and allegiances. So, and 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 of course, uh, Ocean Outdoor are allowing this this space, a certain percentage of this space, to be to be used to do that. So, there, there's um, it, it's just it's very, very much more interesting, and it's not your traditional out of home display. Mm. Very very different from that it's uh, being this landmark site in a one-off um in a one-off location in central london it is so prominent it has the capability to you know to promote messages promote the social awareness in certain areas like no other display so it, i think they're using the tool very responsibly as, as well as the the obvious revenue generator yeah i was thinking of how they do like just kind of each advertiser rotates through a, a moment of full screen while the others are still represented on a side of it and how they lay that out is kind of interesting to hear how they they used it to give each of those advertisers their own full screen time while still um, representing those others at certain times. I know that was one of the, the earlier uses of it that I thought was pretty interesting to hear about. Yeah, sure. They, yes, they move, they move the content around and then they will allow for a moment of exclusivity. Mm-hmm. So it's been very cleverly thought out. And the all the advertisers, if you like, have their moment of exclusivity on the display. So whereas before when you had your six different different six different displays, all the it was a bit bit of a patchwork mm-hmm. and they all were slightly different sizes. Now it, it's a it's a great way that they share the space and it makes it attractive for all the advertisers now that go on that site because they'll all, they all get that moment of exclusivity they all get a different place on the screen uh, and it continues to be eye-catching so yes i think yeah, i think you're right that is a, it's a, a well thought out piece and of course it was there was a certain level of uh, they were dictated by the local council that they had to have continue to have this a patchwork effect because that was uh, that was in keeping with the original display. So there was a bit of a hangover that, uh, from, the, from the old display and the old, uh, old uh, well, going, going way back, that 
the local authority insisted upon. But actually, now that's been that's part of its character, and I think um, they, they work it well. And we'll definitely put a, a picture in the show notes because it's a really cool looking display. I mean, we've mentioned it's 4K curves around, and I'm just thinking of all the. I know the different uses we've seen when monitoring social media, Justin. It's yeah. uh, that display always seems to be used in any kind of major event that goes on. I don't know why it keeps coming to the top of my head, but when like PlayStation Five was released, I remember there was mm-hmm. a cool like 3D kind of forced perspective content that was used for for like the controller or something when it was coming up. But it just seems to be Patrick. Whenever there's something going on, some major event, movie releases, something like that, that display always seems to get tied into it somehow. Yeah, it certainly does. I think um interesting comment you made there, Matt, about the um the PlayStation uh or any any advert that mm. really embraces this deep screen technology, so this forced perspective technology, in that yeah, yeah, I'm I'm sure it looks great on the screen, but this is because this content lends itself so well to social media. Mm. This display is just as popular on social media as it is people standing in front of it which is quite unusual for any display, I think, in the world. Um, so it has a massive appeal yeah. to be represented on all social media platforms as well as standing in front of it. Mm-hmm. Right. And, of course, this is a major iconic location, and it, it gets a lot of attention. So um, I think it's great that you mentioned that it's got a lot of social appeal as well because it is one of those uh, marquee locations and displays out there. Um, do you have uh, other projects going on in the out of home market in the UK? I, I believe there's one for a place called Soho. Can you tell us a little bit about that project as well? Yes. Yeah, so we placed, uh, which is just around the corner from Piccadilly Lights. Uh, I should say Piccadilly, Piccadilly Circus is the location. Um, mm-hmm. Circus, because it was a, a an old roundabout uh, circle. And uh, Piccadilly Lights is actually now, that was the rebranded branded site. Um, so that is actually the corner of the building there. That's what they call Piccadilly Lights. Uh, so around the corner from there is Leicester Square. And we have just um, put a new screen in there for Soho Estates. That site's operated by Global Outdoor, um, which is an, an iconic display and location for Global Outdoor. So again, one of their, I think one of their, one of their premium sites. Um, but Soho Estates is a, a new customer of ours, but we're very excited to put a put a six mil display in that location. It's uh, it's an un- unusual location, and yeah, as I say, very very high profile and visible. So it's exciting to have have that display there. We also have another display down on Haymarket, so we have three iconic displays within stone throwing stone throwing distance of each other. Um, which in fact, if there is one location you can stand in and see all three, which I have stood in, of course, <laughs> cool. being a screen geek. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, it's interesting to see all, all three at once. And just curious, are these um, what we would call maybe traditional display sizes, like the rectangles you're th- that we usually would see of a billboard, or are these different sizes? Yes, the square is 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 an over sort of uh, is a portrait display, but um, oversized portraits are so oversized on the height. Mm-hmm. So it's it's pretty much the height of the building, uh, and then narrow. So it lends itself to it lends itself well to different content, but interesting content. You know, we it, uh, I've seen them use it use it very well, um, and it's a different opportunity for those content creators, the creatives, to use that space differently. Because as you as you say, you know, 
when we see traditional home displays, we're looking at uh, rectangular displays that are landscape or they're just, just on the portrait aspect ratio. But this one is portrait, but very high, very tall. And just as I say, lends itself well to something a bit different. I don't know if this is uh, something you're seeing in the UK, but I know we have in the United States too, is that people are looking for, I'd say that's the non-traditional type stuff because they want something to stick out because kind of like you alluded to, the traditional ones are the rectangle ones. So I don't know, I've seen it just even sometimes on the side of the interstates here as we're driving around, just really tall portrait ones. Is that kind of, I don't know if I'd say it's a trend, Patrick, but are you seeing people looking for some more non-traditional sizes when they look for installations like this? I think there's a big, there's a big difference between iconic locations and your typical roadside display. Iconic locations are are very much that. They are out of the ordinary. What you have to remember about the iconic locations is that they aren't a standard size. They do require custom content, custom creative. So if you're a media owner with lots of standard format displays, you create one piece of content for that display and you can replicate it very easily around that whole estate. You start building lots of different size displays, you've got to start creating content for all those multiple different sizes. So it's not necessarily a route that all the media owners want to go down. However, there are media owners the smaller, the smaller types that that like the iconic locations, that focus on the iconic locations, and are not looking for that large, large broadcast capability. They want their mm-hmm. displays to stand out, so they're happy to take the time and to invest um, in the yeah the, the, the locations that stand out basically and put a different display in there. And 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 there, there are fewer of them, so creating that content mm-hmm. is worthwhile let's put it that way yeah and we're talking about the the iconic locations are you do you mean just in the uk or are there like these other locations where it's kind of expanding throughout europe as well you said you kind of cover a little bit of europe as well in in your your area are are you seeing this expand outside the uk yeah very much so i mean the the, we we, um we work with the with the main media owners we work with jason co we're very we're, we're very lucky to work with ocean we work with global outdoor um, open media and, and amongst others, and they all have a, a, a slightly different proposition and route to market. Um, and uh, when we when we t- when we look at Ocean, Ocean have typically been this uh, this company that look at iconic locations. They're expanding all the time. They're expanding and, and progressing into Europe, um, and. No doubt they'll be looking for these or for these sites for these iconic locations. Um, doesn't suit everybody, uh, but it's something that they do well. And I suspect that they'll be looking further afield into Europe for these these uh, these special sites. I'm kind of curious, you know, aside from maybe some of the special sites, but when we're talking about expanding into Europe for Ocean Outdoor or JC Deco, is it is it more like they have? static billboards even as they are right now and they're converting them to digital or are they starting with like a brand new digital display there is um there was a there was a large uh move over to digital from the the what we call the paper and paste or or the or the backlit displays so the fixed displays there was a, a large shift over and 
that, that you know that is still going on. However, the old traditional billboard it's still an important uh, still an important asset for the for the media owners, and it's still preferred by some of the ad agencies. It's still preferred by uh, some of the campaigns because it it, uh, it it does give them that large broadcast capability and it's up for two weeks. So there, so there is a, so there's a, so there is a, I think, a, still a requirement for it out there. Um, but the, the, the move over to digital, well, it's still happening. People are still looking at new ways in which that, in which they can engage with their audiences. And I think that's key really. It's, it's the digital is out there now. How do, how do we now develop the use of it? the content that's created. So we've talked about Piccadilly and how fantastic Piccadilly is. It's fortunate enough to have that dynamic content. Um, they have a planning there where they can show moving images. The, the roadside technology, it's more static. So how, how can, how can, how can they create campaigns around the more static digital, um, to, to engage with the audience and, and be different, um, from the um, from the old traditional one, and that's where the sort of the, the the next step is in how do they how do they utilize it, and then how do they sell it? So there's there's ways that it's traditionally being sold, um, and it, that's that's now that's now moving forward. It's uh, it's more of a, a stock item now, where you can go out and if you, if you like, you can go out and you can little checkbox and you can click uh, a checkbox on and pick the displays where you actually want to advertise. So all of that in the background is changing and, and how, the, how we actually utilize these digital assets in the, in the field, so how they're more efficiently used and how they can become more profitable. Um, and, then, and then, of course, there's always, uh, always the creative companies there who are creating these campaigns, these more engaging campaigns and how they can utilize the technology, the technology better. So it, that... I think that's where the big, biggest changes are going to come in this market. Yeah, and we've been talking a lot about out-of-home market and what's going on there. Maybe we can switch gears a little bit to talk about uh, the, the more live events, maybe sports-focused market. I know we've got some customers in the UK that, that have been with us for quite a while. Maybe you could talk about um, one of those starting with Wembley and, and tell us a little bit about that relationship. Sure. Well, uh, quite timely, actually, Justin. We, we sold our first. Uh, system into Wembley back in 2013 and uh, as of two days ago we have just signed the contract to replace all of the technology on, in, within the inner bowl um, so that's a custom that we've, we've worked alongside for the last 10 years the technology has performed has, has performed fantastically well and it, it's now at end of life and we're, we're, we're extending the support for a little bit longer so we can meet Wembley's closed period, which is at the end of end of this year, so the end of 2023, um, just to make sure that we uh, so there's so there's no stop gaps and the system is up and operation throughout the season. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's for us. That's a great success story, and and um, we have this saying within Dectronics, we're customer for life, and this this truly has been uh, one of those more successful relationships where we've had an opportunity to work closely with the customer and the technology has worked well. We've had a great support from our service team and and the customer has chosen now after a tender process to, to stick with Dactronics and have a new Dactronics system. So exciting times. Now we have to deliver. That's awesome because I know Wembley, again, I, I know I mentioned social media a lot in these podcasts, but that's because 
Justin Amato a lot, but I've seen mm-hmm. a lot of really cool pictures at Wembley, and they, I mean, it's got to be one of the more iconic stadiums in the, in the UK, right? Because it, I know they have sometimes even hosted NFL games, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, yeah, so, so you, you mentioned the NFL there, which just taking us back to 2013 and, and back to the initial Wembley um, order that we received back then, is that Wembley were definitely ahead of the game at the time, or they were they were they were thinking ahead at the time, and now that was based around NFL's introduction to into the UK. Uh, and uh, when we were going through this process, the tender process back then, and Wembley were very focused around fan engagement, and they they spent a lot of time. They came over to the US. Uh, with Daptronics and we've a number of different stadiums over there where fan engagement is done very well. Let's be honest, it's done fantastically well in North America. Uh, so Wembley really broke the mold over here um, when it came to un- trying to understand this fan engagement. So they re- really embraced that at the time and um, they chose Daptronics on the basis that they, they had, they'd been to see our sites in North America. They recognised that that's something... This is what Daptronics do particularly well, and this is this is where Daptronics' proposition really does stand out from others. So, um, so that was a, a big changing point in the UK market for us. Of course, since then we've we've had success with other stadiums. Um, we're also successful in Twickenham, London Stadium, the original original Principality, and uh, since then Tottenham Hotspur mm-hmm. um, and Tottenham Hotspur partner with the NFL. And Tottenham again are now taking it to another level. Like, uh, you know, they've really embraced LED technology, and we were fortunate to win that project and worked well with a fantastic project team there. And they've delivered just uh, just the most amazing, amazing stadium, one of the top stadiums in Europe, um, the top stadium in Europe, really, and uh, and a great great showcase for Daptronics with a good customer. Yeah, and, and all these different projects, and and Dactronics obviously having a little success there. Can you speak to the maybe the the experience that we have in that market, or how we're sticking out to to some of these locations? Yeah, sure. So, uh, the, I mean, our technology, uh, of course, is is um, is our lifeblood. Mm-hmm. We have technology offerings that can meet all requirements. It, it, throughout the stadium, um, so when we look at or when we look at a stadium, we look at all the different spaces and the atriums, the concession stands, the the approach to the stadium, the inner bowl outside of the stadium. In fact, we do a fantastic map of um, of, of this whole uh, sofa to seat experience, where Daptronics can offer a level of technology, so a product that can could. Uh, could beat the needs of, of any venue, uh, stadium or arena. Um, and we do that well. Um, now, I think that the, the, the differentiators for us are our expertise and our knowledge within this space. Um, we, we have multiple engineers that operate on a daily basis behind what we, what we do out in the field. We have project managers delivering these, delivering these highly complex solutions. And we have the the, uh, the product and the control systems that can deliver that game day experience and that fan engagement um, 
And again, just from years from experience in North America, some super systems, we call them over here, super systems mm-hmm. in North America, we really know how to deliver. And we can scale that scale that to any size, right? So, you know, Twic- uh, Tottenham, Twickenham, Wembley, they're all massive projects. Um, but we can scale that down uh, to, to smaller projects as well. But, uh, but, our, but our proposition still stays the same. It's the, it's the people that deliver it, people that deliver our product, and then our than our after-sales service that support it for its lifetime. It sounds like a lot of similar discussions we have here. It's every, it's mm-hmm. not just a TV. It's sometimes what I hear people say. Right. It's it's the installation, the service, the content, even everything that goes on the display. Uh, Patrick, I know you, you mentioned all right, already this Wembley kind of swapping out uh, what's going to be in bowl, but as far as the U.K. market goes, what's next for that market? Is there anything that you could could tell us on here that uh, you know wouldn't give too much away? Well, we always uh, focus on the Daptronics propositions. I've talked, I've talked uh, quite a few times on, on what we do well, the products that we, that, uh, that we can offer. And we know that we can't be successful in all markets. And, and, and you know, there are other manufacturers out there that, that um, choose to play in some of the sectors that, uh, that we don't. Because we we focus on that on the Daptronics proposition, which is which is the, the quality, it, um, it, quality on the product and quality on the um, uh, on the people that are, de- are, are delivering these pro- these projects. So, where we will continue to focus, we'll continue to focus in our in our out of home markets. Um, we have some we have a good customer base there, and we're continuing to develop uh, and innovate products and solutions for that sector and it and it and it's a tricky market just touching on that just to touch on that quickly matt it's a tricky market because everyone wants the best most reliable product but of course in this advertising world their financial models don't necessarily stack up to buy this best long-lasting quality product so there have to be people have to um they have to well what do they do they they, they have to sort of uh, make allowances, right? So mm-hmm. um, they 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 got to pay less. So we have to make different choices in the in the components that we use and some of that manufacturing process that we that we um, that we go through to make these products. So uh, basically, the upshot is that we're continually develop product. We're trying to create this most reliable product for a price point that actually works for our customers and, and allows them to be successful allows their financial models to stack up as well. So we're constantly working and innovating in that sector to deliver products that, that support our customers. Likewise, in the stadium business, again, it's one of our core markets. We have a huge suite of products that that meet the needs of our customers, but we're always trying to innovate and be exciting. We're looking into eSports. This is a big market now. I could quote some numbers, but I mean it's it's huge, and uh-huh. and the way that that's the way that that's growing now is just massive. So for us, esports is is going to be a focus um, <clears throat> for to deliver some of our systems super systems into into the a lot of uh, developments going on around that right now. Yeah, it's... Uh, and then and then we we'll look at other areas where where Datronics can be successful and and offer that proposition. But some of that I'm going to keep to myself, quite frankly, guys. Yeah, no problem there. <laughs> don't, don't give away the secret sauce by any means, no. But um, 
Patrick, it's it's really interesting to to hear what's going on in the UK, what you guys kind of have going forward, and what you're looking to do over there. Um, and it's always interesting to hear the history as well, and hear some of those higher profile projects and and what's happening with those, and how they're advancing and continually creating new content and engaging um, audiences over there. So I just want to thank you for taking the time to come on and share with us today what what you have going on in the UK market. Yeah, well, good to talk to you guys. Thanks very much. Appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, Patrick. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dectronics Experience Podcast. Please subscribe at your favorite place to listen to podcasts to keep up with our latest episodes. 